Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Faster my and welcome to Spotlight. I'm Sarah Hendy and on today's programme we head to the Isle Gallery where recently the Great Manx build-up and throwdown took place and we step back to Lorion where I spoke to Illan Pipe player Fionn O'Halloon and we have some music from Irish group Skipper's Alley. Get in touch if you'd like to come up and talk about what you do creatively or if you know something that you think we ought to know about here. The email address is spotlight at manxradio.com or of course you can message the Manx Radio Facebook page or contact us through the free Manx Radio app. First today we head up to the Isle Gallery in Timwald Mills where artist Anna Klukas is just winding down from day three of the great Manx build-up and throwdown. Well, Alec, you're just um, tidying up after day two of the Great Manx build-up and throwdown. What exactly is that? Well, uh, to be honest, Sarah, it's a good old take on the Great British throwdown, which um, Faye and I were very, very excited to watch on uh, those two series. So we're kind of excited for the next one. Um, but it was, it was just inspired by that, really. Um, we just thought, I'm very good at building is very good at throwing why don't we combine and do something fun for the Manx adults so we sort of combined our skills and um, it came out with this and it we've got some challenges in it it's got hand building uh, this time around we've got a raku firing um, it's pretty much just pushing the boundaries of all clay because you're covering so many areas of working with clay, it sounds like something ideal for people who either have had some experience and want to sort of broaden their experience or people who maybe who've never tried it before. This is for absolutely everybody. Um, there is a lot of very capable ceramicists over on the island, which I know that they've gone through the college and uh, they've learned through some of my favourite lecturers. Um, but it doesn't matter how skilled you are you can be a beginner to um, experienced there's always something that you can learn off other people when it comes to uh, clay um, you all different backgrounds of ceramicists it there is always something that you don't know so to combine all these forces together and you actually you can come out with something pretty incredible mm-hmm. so to do this raku firing it's a really good experience these different processes and these different ceramic techniques, um, can you describe them for us? Well, it starts off with um, your basic hand building. So if you're a beginner, you would get your pinch pots. Um, you'd start off, these are all hand building, these are hand building. So you'd have your pinch pots, um, then you'd have your slab pots, which is slab. Then you have your coil pots. And these are all basic techniques to then keep building and making your your pieces. And this would come under the hand building side. You've got your throwing, which is all based on a wheel. Uh, So you make your plates, your teapots, um, your your mugs. Um, You know, there's, it's just, it's endless really. Um, Pretty much, you know, whatever you eat off and drink out of has been made in clay. Um, It's more sculptural if you're you're a hand builder you'd make more less functional objects you can make sort of more sculptural objects um i mean the firings in itself they're all completely different you've got your raku firings you've got your electric kiln firings you've got your stoneware your earthenware uh smoke firings pit firings 
So that's another, that's one of the elements that we'd like to kind of uh, get into now really, to kind of um, broaden everybody's horizons over here with the clay and the ceramics and the different ways of alternative firings. And then you've also got your casting. So you've got your slip casting with your mold making um, out of plaster, um, which then you pour in some very liquid slip into a, a mold. And then you, you, you're reproducing, um, it's like a production line. So uh, that's, that's not as much as, I wouldn't say hand building, that's more sort of um, factory work. <laughs> but it's very skilled factory work because you need to make them molds in the first place. So. Um, it would be nice to also do so, some bits of casting as well, mould making. So I think we just want to try and cover as much as we possibly can and then try and gather everybody's um, skill set together. Because it really is like an intensive course in, in ceramics in a sense, like introduction to all these completely different areas. Am I right in thinking that um, you're describing all these different techniques? So a pinch pot would be where you have your little lump of clay and you use your fingers, your thumb and you, probably your forefinger to kind of like work it into a little vessel almost. Coil pots, you make a whole series of sausages essentially <laughs> and then um, sort of yeah, pop them on top of each other and start to blend them in so that they become like a smooth vessel, whatever shape you're going for. And then slab pots, you were talking about that in the hand building as well. I suppose it does what it says on the tin. You create slabs of clay sheet almost and then um, glue them together with slip at the edges. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah you put them, that's what we're doing at the minute actually. We're making some slab lanterns. Um, so we're going to be made the, sl uh, the slabs, uh, rolled them out, and uh, we're drying them out. It's the drying process, which is a bit of a pain. Um, so we're driving them out overnight uh, to build them up tomorrow into our lanterns. Um, so you would, you would just score the edges. It'd be like building a house. Score the edges, put in your slip, and then uh, gluing it all together. It can be quite tricky, but you know, once it's done, it's pretty magnificent again. Very big sculptural lantern. Um, and do you know what's really nice about it is everybody has, you give them a brief and everybody takes something from that brief and turns it into their own. And that's what I really like about these classes is that, you know, everyone, no matter whether you're a beginner or an advanced uh, ceramicist, everybody has so, something different to add to the group. So that's, that's another thing. It's so special. It's such a lovely environment too. And everyone's just so chilled out and relaxed. It's quite a big undertaking, really. Like, you know, talking through all these different processes with you, it sort of reminded me how long they can take, especially with the drying process, as you mentioned. It's quite a lot going into this, and it's amazing that you're managing to fit so much in in just a week. Yeah, it takes a lot of planning, but like in here now today, we've got four wheels, um, we've got tables all up, we split everybody up into groups. Uh, Faye takes the throwers, I take the hand builders. It's, just, it's a dream team. We are the dream team. But it is, it's, it's been really good. I'd also like to mention we've got some amazing banding wheels that, um, for this one uh, too, which were sponsored by Typhoon House, if that's okay. What is a banding wheel? A banding wheel is where you're throwing your coils, um, coil pots on or decorating. So you've got your... Um, a lazy Susan. Well, it is a lazy Susan, yeah, it's a cake tray, isn't it? <laughs> but it's metal. Um, no, but it is, it's just, you go, it spins, you got, it means you can get some even coils, you make sure you, you it's like a slow version of what goes on on the wheel. Yeah. So it's very good for building coil pots and decorating anyway. So it's been very, very 
very important for us. Thank you very much, Typhoon House. <laughs> the first um, Great Manx build-up and throwdown was three days long. You've extended to a week. What does the future hold? I mean, it's been a roaring success by all accounts. Yeah, it would be nice. I think we're still scratching our heads about what we're going to do next year. Um, it would be nice to put in an element of the slip casting side um, to it and then to try and cover more. But again, you know, it, we've only got a week or three days. Um, adults they find it hard to take off a week of work. You know, maybe we should do it more on a long weekend. Maybe. So there's a lot of head scratching and whether we work, try and figure out what's best for everybody, really. Um, but it's whatever, we're, we're going to go ahead with it anyway, if we can. Yeah. One of the most inspiring things about doing a workshop here is the fact that you're always surrounded by lots of creatives and also some amazing artwork on the walls. We've got Ellie Baker next and her exhibition's definitely one to look out for. Ellie's absolutely amazing. Ellie's a fabulous painter who works in acrylic, yeah. Yeah, she does. Yeah, she's very good. And um, for me, there's a lot more when you read into them. Um, she likes to kind of give that interest to the public where they can make up their own minds about what's actually what the painting's about. So it's, it, they're very beautiful, definitely want to come and see. So if people are interested in taking part in something like this, the, Manx, uh, the Great Manx Build-Up and Throwdown, or some of your summer art programme um, or courses into the future, how do they find you? Uh, they can find us on Facebook uh, under Artreach Studios, the Isle Gallery, or they can find us on um, our website, which is uh, www.artreachiom.com. And uh, they will pretty much pick up anything from there. If they have any problems, just get in touch with us via our messenger, um, and we're usually pretty quick to get in touch. It's well worth following Artreach at the Isle Gallery on social media or signing up to their mailing list because they have so many fantastic workshops and exhibitions coming up. You can find all of the relevant links on the Spotlight blog at manxradio.com. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Now we head back to the beautiful Jardin des Luthiers at the Hotel Gabrielle in Lorient, where Fionn O'Halloun is just putting together his Ilan pipes. So Fionn, you're here representing Ireland at the Festival Inter-Celtique de Lorient this year. Whereabouts in Ireland have you travelled from? Well, I travelled this time from Dublin, um, which isn't where I always lived, but it's where I live now. So I just came with the rest of the Irish delegation and uh, also the Manx delegation who kind of hijack our plane every year. Great fun. Rathmines, Rathmines, County Dublin. You live in Dublin at the moment because you're studying there, right? That's right, yeah. I'm in college in Rathmines at the DIT Conservatory of Music and Drama, no less. And I'm studying music there, which is great. I'm just about to go into my final year, so dissertations and all sorts of shenanigans coming my way. <laughs> Exciting times. I'm glad we uh, caught you now and I'm, I'm glad you said shenanigans. Tell us about how you got into trad music, because uh, studying where you do, I imagine it's not the only kind of music you study. No, well, the conservatory would be mostly classical music, but we do have a trad strand within that. Uh, so you can specialise in traditional music, which is what I do. Um, the way I got around to it is, is quite funny, actually. I have a brother who's one year older than me, and uh, his name is Tiernan. He's, he's great. And when we were kids, uh, he was the, the smart one. So he was sent off for fiddle lessons at the local Coltis branch, Coltis Kiltery Aaron, which is like an Irish music organisation. They run classes everywhere for kids, which is always good. And um, it was just more convenient to get rid of both of us for the evening. 
at this stage I was doing tin whistle in school and I, I'm pretty sure I was definitely the worst child in the class at the tin whistle and uh, so they sent me to whistle classes while he had fiddle classes thinking that he'd, he'd become a good musician and I'd be out of the way for an evening and I practiced and he didn't <laughs> so he now studies law with French poor human so you started with the whistle, and I'm assuming you then must have progressed to the flute and the pipes. That's about right, yeah. The, the sticks with holes in them got longer. See, when I was learning the whistle, uh, about a year or two in, the flute was just a really cool instrument to play, and all the cool kids played the flute. So I wanted to play the flute because I wanted to be one of the cool kids. And then, about another year or two after that again, I think these years or two are very generous denominations of time. I'd say about uh, six months after I started the whistle, I got into the flute. And about a year and a half after that, I got into the pipes, which I did actually in, not in Dublin, not in Wicklow where I lived then, but in Kerry, in a place called Dingle, or Dangany Chush in Irish. And I went into a session there, I was about 12 years old. And uh, there was a very, very wonderful, lovely, accommodating piper in the session who was delighted when some 12-year-old little scut with a whistle came and spoke to him in Irish and asked him loads of, loads of annoying questions about tunes. And his name was Con Durham, and he gave me my very first lesson on the Illan pipes the following day. There are bagpipes, they have a bag, and they have pipes. Unlike the Great Highland pipes, which most people would refer to when they're referring to bagpipes, um, they are bellows blown, which means instead of me having to go and breathe and blow into the thing, I have a bellows which I strap onto my arm and onto my waist, and by doing a kind of chicken-like movement with my right elbow, I can inflate the bag. And the joke is, of course, that the, the convenient advantage of this is that you can play the pipes and drink whiskey at the same time. Um, other than that, I suppose the chanter is different, which is the, the fluty bit at the front that makes the melody. Um, it has about twice the range of a Highland pipe chanter. Um, we we'll just say it has two full octaves. Then the drones are slightly different. And then I also have a thing called regulators, which kind of lie across my leg and I hit them with the heel of my hand to play an extra sort of little accompaniment. I can play simple chords and that while also playing the melody with my fingers, while also pumping the bellows with my arm and somehow trying to breathe at the same time. And occasionally you also sing at the same time. I do occasionally also sing at the same time. I had to, I did some of that this morning actually, which was great fun because I haven't played and sang at the same time in a while. But I discovered that it is indeed still possible. They're very difficult, I'm sure. It must have taken quite a long time for you to get as, as good at this as you are. Yeah, well, essentially, when I was growing up, when I was a teenager mostly, I used to take all of my temper tantrums out on the pipes. So this <laughs> provided me with ample vitamin P, that being practice time. Some of this practice time was spent seeing could I sing and play at the same time, and turns out I can, mm -hmm. to some extent. <laughs> what other instruments do you play? I feel like there's, there's more to add to this list. Well, I, I think we've actually covered it. Sticks with holes in them. The tin whistle, the flute, and the pipes. I had a go at the harp a little bit, and I had a go at the fiddle a little bit, and a go at the concertina a little bit, but I can play, you know, maybe one tune on each of those, so not, not really. I do do a lot of singing. I do a lot of traditional singing, Shannon singing, and for the past 
two and a half years now I've been studying as an opera singer. How, how have you been enjoying that? That's been great fun, actually. I, um, I'm just... Before this, I came back from Norfolk, where I was doing a show of Orfeo e Diorice by uh, Christoph Willibald Gluck. And it's, it's just great fun, kind of getting into a character and putting on makeup and curling your moustache with Pritt stick and getting on the stage and turning into a, a demon for some bits and then a, a, an obedient manservant for other bits and it's just great fun. Uh-huh. Is it, do you think, helping you uh, explore the other, the other aspect of your heritage, your German heritage perhaps? Yes, actually, I have found it because a lot of of course, a lot of opera has been written in German, but as well as that, there's a lot of art song in German, which is essentially poetry set to music, usually for voice and piano. Um, so really famous composers that wrote this kind of thing would be uh, Schubert, uh, Schumann, Strauss, Richard Strauss. So I do connect to a lot of um, the poetry. I'm German on my mother's side. I was born in Berlin, for the lovely listeners who didn't know this before. That's where I was born. And I really do feel like I've gotten much more in touch with the poetry in that sense. I've also gotten much more in touch with my my grandmother on the German side because she really enjoys opera and she has lots of fun stories about working in the Komische Oper Berlin during during uh, Soviet occupation when she was young. She was lurk- working in the cloakroom there. Not lurking in the cloakroom, working in the cloakroom. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've... It, kind of has helped me connect to firstly all the literature and culture and that and the music of course and then also to my family over there so it's been really nice okay so just tuning up you just uh, just in the poles like down or up they sort of slide slide like a like you would a flute really yeah so they have the drones have tuning slides which means if you pull it out a bit the pipe gets longer and therefore the f- wavelength also gets longer therefore the frequency becomes less and therefore you get a lower note which is why that one is very very small and that one is very very long And those, these are like, are these your keys? No, hang on a second. That's like, that's, ah, these are the things you're talking about with hitting the heel of your hand. And the heel of my hand, yes. So essentially they're like, mm, this is the chanter here at the front. So it's like a wooden pipe with holes in that I put my fingers on. Now I run out of fingers very quickly <laughs> with this instrument. So instead of having holes in these to put my fingers on, these have holes which are covered with um, metal keys. So they're like little levers. And if I push down the lever, it opens a hole. And this hole plays a note. So there's three sticks with holes in them that have keys on, so I can play up to three notes at a time. But I can't play two notes at the same time on the same shtick. That doesn't work. Then you just get this kind of crack. (laughs) Which is really not so great. What are you going to play for us now? 
These are two jigs. The first one is on Tahir Jack Walsh and the second one is Natine Carey and these are both actually from songs so these both of these tunes have words to them but they go quite nicely on the pipes and I say too many words as it is so I won't sing them as well.
Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. While I was in Lorient, I also came across a fantastic podcast for anyone who's really into their trad. Every week, musician Patrick Cummins broadcasts Music at the Crossroads on Dublin South FM, which is also available as a podcast. And it's really worth a listen if you enjoy the nitty gritty of Celtic trad, because he's passionate about trad himself and he goes into a lot of detail. It's really lovely to listen to. The link to the podcast is available on the Spotlight blog. But for now, here's Patrick playing a couple of tunes with his band, the second of which he composed himself. This is Skipper's Alley with the Sligo Maid and Errigal Road. that's all we have time for this week join me again next wednesday at half past five for spotlight here on manx radio in the meantime you can keep in touch through spotlight at manxradio.com and you can listen again on our website or through the manx radio app have a lovely creative week slam you <laughs>